Um, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, seeing us through another summer and here to another fall and for what that means for um, all of us. And we pray for our time this morning as we look at um, prophets in the Old Testament and we look at, uh, perhaps specifically, uh, prepare the way to understand the book of Isaiah better. So we pray that you would be with us during our time, that you would give us your spirit to teach us. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen. Okay, so did everybody get one of the handouts? You've got a handout in this chair here, and you've got one there. I did my best to, to, to hand that out. I'm going to be going strictly off of this, so there isn't much more to give than what's here. I was asked to talk briefly on the role of the prophet in the Old Testament. So that's what I'm going to do. I always like to give reference to resources and also use resources that I think are um, accessible to y'all. So this has been one of my all-time favorites. Um, this is called As Far, or Far As the Curse is Found, and it's the Covenant Story of Redemption. Michael Williams is a professor at Covenant Theological Seminary, and um, there's just a ton in that book, one, for understanding the story of Scripture but there's some great stuff on there about the role of prophet that I will be pulling from, and I would encourage you to, to get as well. Or bother Steve uh, and have him put it on the book table so you don't have to go through the process of ordering it. Also, I love this thing too. This is like somebody, somebody's kid was doodling one day, and somebody was smart enough to look at it and be like, we can make a lot of money off of this. This is uh, the acronym, I think that's right, CASKET. And it goes through creation, Abraham, Sinai, using the, the spelled out word letters of casket. And what I love about this, because when you get into the prophets, it gets a little confusing. Who's going where? Are, you know, the Bible's not chronological as it, as it pertains to prophets. This drawing gives you this, this great picture of who's in the northern kingdom, who's in the southern kingdom. And I'll be referencing this, but this is a great tool too. And... I, I love it. I use it all the time. Um, other than that, the rest of the stuff I'll be referring to is secret. You can't have it because <laughs> it keeps me employed. No. Okay, great. Let's jump in here. You see there on your sheet uh, the role of the prophet. Um, who says so, right? Who, as we come to uh, the discussion of, of what a prophet is and what a prophet was tasked to do, the question who gets to say who a prophet is, is a good one. And so we're going to look at that first. And, and where we go to that is Deuteronomy 18. And I do want you to turn there. Deuteronomy 18. Uh, Numbers 12, 6 to 8. We'll give you a little shortened version of this. And in Exodus 7, we'll also reference this. But what, in the short of it, what you need to know is that everything in the entire Old Testament, and certainly anything referenced in the New Testament about prophets, Everything comes back to Deuteronomy 18, 9 to 22. We never leave Deuteronomy 18, 9 to 22. Israel never does. And essentially, the prophets are con constantly referring back to Deuteronomy 18, 9 to 22. But I should say, they're referring back to uh, covenants, and we'll talk about that in a second. Um, but this is, you know, and I, I'll probably overstate this, and I should. We think, and we'll see why later, we think prophets are confusing, because they are, 
Um, but I want you to see over the next, I don't know, we've got 30 minutes, 40 minutes, how just clear, what's that? Two hours, awesome. <laughs> how clear and how spelled out and unambiguous the Bible is about what prophets are, who they are, what they're saying, what they're supposed to say. Um, so that we're not left with any type of question or concern as to what's the criteria. Uh, is this person legit? And how can I trust them? So we're going to start here with Deuteronomy 18, okay? And you basically have this section broken up into three different categories. You have uh, rejected practices, you have God's appointed agency, and you have criteria for distinguishing true and false prophets. So I'll read this for us, and then we'll, um, we'll kind of go piece by piece. So beginning there in verse, verse 9, uh, it says here, When you come into the land that the Lord your God has given you, and this is... This is uh, Moses. This is you know, Moses writing Deuteronomy, speaking to the wilderness generation. You shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son and his daughter in an offering. Interesting enough, we had to write that down to not do that. Um, anyone who practiced uh, divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer, these would also be in the category of prophet um, in, in this culture, or a medium or a necro, uh, necromancer, I, ugh, or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. Verse 13. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God for these nations which you are about to dispossess. Um, Listen to fortune tellers and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. So the first thing we come to are the rejected practices of the culture. And and, and basically God telling Israel, you're not going to be like these other people. Here's what these other people do. Here's this list of folks. Lots of ways that they um, pretend to tell the future or pretend to talk about whatever we would assumed to be the category of prophet. We're not going to be like those people. He, we were rejecting those practices, and we are. Uh, I'm going to give you a new and better practice. And that new and better practice is what we just finished reading there, that, that I'm going to give you a word of, from myself. And this gets to, to verse 15 uh, here, where God's appointed agency, we see here, that the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him that you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. Um, We'll continue to 19. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you among them, among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Okay, so here we get description of God's appointed agency. And let's just look over that, uh, basically. That God is saying, I'm going to raise up someone who isn't, isn't a fortune teller or, or a diviner, but a prophet raised up by the Lord your God. Okay, So this is somebody who is given the authority of God, who's called by God to come up and speak a word of God to God's people. The Word of God comes from God Himself. We see this here uh, in verse 15, through the agent or prophet. True prophecy is always a matter of God's initiative. Um, can't put that any more plainly or clearly. And I think that's important for us um, as we begin to discern 
what is a true prophet or not, and we'll get to that later, maybe. Um, but for Isaiah, we're always looking for God's initiative in people's lives to call them to the practice and to the office of prophecy or what the prophet will be doing. Okay, True prophecy, the next one there, would follow God's model, namely Moses himself, a prophet like me. All right, well, what was Moses like? Okay, well, you got some, some descriptors here. He was a representative of God's people. Let me, let me explain that real quick because we're going to need to have some of... Um, can I erase this? I, I want to erase it. I'll, I'll go over here. I'll go over here. Okay. I just want you to have this in mind. This is the way God communicates in the Old Testament that you have this people of God, okay? But he always raises up a representative. And in this case, it's Moses. And it's Moses that he speaks to on behalf of the whole people, okay? So this is, this is how that conversation is going. You can see how this translates just for the sake of the New Testament. There's a representative named, named Jesus who represents all of us, right? And uh, that's a good thing. But this is already setting, the, setting precedent for that here in the Old Testament. So what is Moses like? What is this representative like? He is a representative of God's people. So he's raised up from, from the midst of God's people. He comes from God's people. He's called by God in a unique and personal way. All right? We're going to see that in Isaiah in chapter 6. Isaiah, uh, you'll, you'll notice this in, in, in most of the, of the written prophets, not all of them, that they do record... Um, why they have authority to speak. They record their calling by God. Um, next, you see they're sent into specific situations and needs in, of, of crisis, predicted events beforehand, and interpreted them afterwards. Brought or brought back God's constitutional ethic for His people. I, these are God's covenants, which we'll discuss here in a minute. Interceded for His people, suffered for and with His people. That's a big one. Okay, so um, to, for, for a prophet to be raised up like Moses... Um, if we were to see somebody who is kind of coming in, um, you know, with a lot of bells and whistles and saying a lot of things and then driving off, you know, um, maybe going to the next town to do his skit or to do his thing, um, we might begin to pause and be concerned about that. Is this person really, can we trust this person? One of the ways that we see God using prophets in the Old Testament is, they, they weep with their people. They are there in the midst of their... They often suffer the consequences of their people. So they're not sort of um, isolated and in this sort of ivory tower, if you will, um, preaching all of this stuff and hoping that it all works out for them. Like They are in the midst of their people and they are part of God's people, which means they are part of His blessing or cursings depending upon how um, Israel responds to His messenger. Um, so that, that, that's one. Uh, also, we see that we, a lot of the prophets die without seeing the fruition of their life's mission. Um, it's interesting just to consider. So the people are to listen to him. We see that in verse 15. Thus the prophet carried God's authority, and that's huge. In summary, a prophet was a spokesman for God, particularly to the covenant people. So I, I draw this back up again because um, when we'll get, get you know, I'm just going to reiterate a lot of this stuff. But the audience that we're always dealing with when it comes to prophets is his people. Sometimes we go outside of that like with Jonah, but for the most part, it's always going to be God's people. Um, so that's, that's a bit about God's appointed agency. The people are to listen to him. And, um, you know, oh, and also there's a continuing stream of prophets pertaining to the correlated, correlated to the promises of God. And so one thing I want you to think about as you read Isaiah, but also as you think about the prophets is... Um, 
as long as God's promises continue in the Old Testament, you're always going to have a prophet. Those two things are correlated because that's essentially the job of the prophet is to continue to communicate these promises to God's people. So those two things are connected. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and jump there just to kind of dispel some of our assumptions. You know, we think of prophet, we think of a, uh, someone foretelling, somebody talking about the future, somebody thinking of getting visions for things that are going to happen many, many years ago or, or down the road. And this, that's what a prophet is. But the reality is, is that when we look at the Old Testament, that's very, very little of what the prophets do. Um, most of the prophets are calling people back to something. Um, calling them back to remember the, the Exodus, God's promises, God's covenant with His people. Remember those things. Remember what He did. Therefore, repent. Um, so just uh, sometimes that can be um, new for folks to, to consider that most of, most of what we read in, in Scripture with prophets, it's not this fortune teller business of, uh, although that's there, but it's, it's calling God back, calling God's people back to his promises. Okay, so then there's the, the criteria for distinguishing true from false prophets, and you know this makes sense. Like if you're going to uh, introduce this idea of a prophet coming to give this message and have this authority, all right, how are we going to figure out this is the right person? And we've given given some of that with him being raised up above, uh, raised among the, among you, as Moses would be an example of that. Um, but what we find here in verse 20 to 22 is that in verse 20, those who spoke in the name of other gods would be false prophets. That's a pretty, pretty good obvious, obvious one there in verse 20. Did we, did we read that? We didn't read that, did we? Let me read that for us. Verse 20. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. Okay. So those who spoke in the names of other gods, those who claim to speak in the name of Yahweh, but whose words were his own, not the Lord's. And then fulfillment is, is we see there in verse 22. But this begs the question, well, what if, you know, a lot of, we just mentioned a lot of the prophet's uh, predictions and a lot of their um, their prophecy didn't come in their lifetime. So, you know, if, if fulfillment is one of the ways that we learn that a prophet is true, what are we supposed to do there? How long should we wait on that p- fulfillment, which often didn't occur? Um, and the key is to come back to other criteria that the Scripture gives you, such as the prophet, a prophet like Moses, not life Moses, but like Moses, that there's actual criteria here that as we're waiting to figure out if this message is true, there's all this other stuff that the Bible has given us, that, he is, that the Bible has given God's people to figure out if we should trust this person or believe this person as we wait to see what happens. Okay? Well, what about us today? Um, well, the whole canon of Scripture and teaching, for example, um, gives us the criteria we need to distinguish whether or not there are prophets. And there aren't any more prophets like there are in the, in the Old Testament. For obvious reasons, uh, one, there's the, or at least the New Testament is is clear about the closing of the canon. Um, there's no more authoritative word, revelatory word would be the best best thing for that. Um, outside of salvation, which is comp- which is compiled in the canon of Scripture. So, um, but we do have criteria for for um, 
in, in the New Testament to distinguish this, and, and interesting enough, it's a greater, someone greater than Moses, and that is Jesus, um, who authenticates or rejects prophets today. That's kind of, a, kind of a false statement because I just do want to be clear. We don't, we don't have prophets today like we do in the Old Testament by virtue of that canon being closed, by virtue of, of, of God saying that his work, his salvific work is finished. And that might be a bigger topic for another day. But um, that is um, the, the role of the prophet from Deuteronomy 18. Something we're going to carry with us for the rest of uh, our time this morning for sure. Um, I got a note there. The Old Testament prophet was not a minister of the word. And this is, this is important to distinguish. Um, as we conceive that task, that is the job of the priest. Rather, God raised up prophets for particular purposes related to the covenant. This is why their call is important, as in Isaiah 6, and why we should not make this a paradigmatic uh, for the Christian ministry. Okay. Any questions about the qualifications and the, you know, how to distinguish who is a prophet, who isn't a prophet, at this point, relating to anything that I've said? Christian ministry, is that what you're saying? Like Isaiah is not a model for Christian ministry? Um, I could be saying that, Ada. I could be. Um, I had in mind distinguishing the offices. Um, how would you want to repeat that question? Ada asked if you could explain the note at the bottom. Okay, can I explain the note at the bottom? Um, let me do that. I, I had in mind just just to you know distinguish between the offices of prophet and the offices of priest. So there's three main offices in the Old Testament: prophet, priest, and king. Um, we see Jesus fulfill all of those in the New Testament. Um, but as it pertains to this, I just wanted to, I just put this here to to try to distinguish between because sometimes it's confusing. Is a prophet somebody who is preaching God's word, and that is not the role of the prophet. Uh, although he's a mouthpiece, this why it, gets, it is scripture to us. But at the time, the priest is the one who's the minister of the word of God as it pertains to Israel. And what the prophet is doing is calling those people back to that word. If that makes it clear. Now, today, we have Isaiah that is written scripture. That is God's word to us. Um, so in that sense, yeah, it's the word of God. But we're talking about the role of a prophet here. Okay? So is that, did I just confuse everybody? No? Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Good. Okay, it's okay to be confused. I am very confusing. So, it's not you, it's me. Okay, so did that help, Ada? And, and the whole bit there about, um, this is why I said why their call is important as in Isaiah 6, and why we should not make the, the paradigmatic, this, parad- this paradigmatic for the Christian ministry, um, is a lot of times we will interchange those things. And so, We'll, change pre- we'll exchange preaching with pro- prophecy, if you will, is kind of what, where, that, where that's going. And that's not what is in view here in the Old Testament. Okay? So let's move on to the prophet's context. Um, who is the prophet speaking to? This is very important because a lot of our frustration comes from what I'm about to tell you right now. And I'll use an example. Uh, there was a commercial, I don't know, a while back, um, it's shortly after 9-11, I think, where I had all these uh, men in uniform, um, military personnel, walking through the, the airport. 
And all of a sudden, you see him walking, and people are kind of stopping, checking, you know, admiring these, these men, and I'm sure there were women there too. Um, but I recall these two guys, as they're passing each other, all of a sudden shout out, War Eagle, to each other. And, you know, you might be thinking like I am, like, what? that must be something, some military code. Must be some type of, um, you know, insider uh, language. Well, at the end of the commercial, you find out what they're talking about because at the end you find it's a, it's a commercial for Auburn University. Um, and, uh, you know, how ridiculous this commercial is, obviously. But, <laughs> but I use the, use the example of, of that or, you know, any sports team, whether it's the Cowboys, Rangers, right? When we say things like this, if we were to take ourselves out of the context or the shared worldview that we have, those words are going to be hard to understand. Those words are intended for an audience that what? Shares that worldview. Okay? This is crucial when it, as it pertains to how we come to a text. And, and this is going to seem very like, I don't, well, I don't know what it's going to seem like, but you have an author who has a text. We'll say Isaiah is that person at this point, And you have an audience that he is communicating to this message. And this is what allows that message to be communicated. In other words, this is how God chooses to work in Scripture. So I don't, you know, I don't want to make this to be, a, no, he somehow is able to you know, translate and send out these thoughts to an audience. This is the shared worldview. And what we have to understand is what is this shared worldview? So for, for those who are uh, watching the commercial and hearing War Eagle, those who went to the University of Auburn or Auburn University... Um, you know, they get that because they're a part of this. Well, same thing's true for the Old Testament. There's a shared worldview that these authors are speaking into, that Isaiah is speaking into. And what do you think that is? That is the covenants. So if you're going to understand this, whatever this person is saying, he is speaking it through the covenants. And it's always mosaic. And Davidic. There we go. Okay. Now, I'm not here to talk to you about the Mosaic Law or the Davidic Law or those covenants. All to say that this is that shared worldview. And I, I can put it like this. This is what those things are. Promise, promise, promise. Okay. Let me try to unpack this for just a second. If this guy is a mouthpiece for God's word, and he's calling this people back to these covenants, back to this, this, you know, these promises, or he has a message that is calling them back to something, what is it that he's calling them back to? It's this promise that God has put forth in these covenants. So the Davidic promise that somebody will come in the line of David and be king comes from 2 Samuel 7. That is ground zero. That is the shared world in which this person is speaking. So when we hear things like blessing, we hear things like um, you know, curses and blessings, they come back to this Davidic covenant. This isn't just sort of some subjective, uh, we get to kind of fill in the blank, and all of a sudden if we believe this, God will bless us. There's actually something concrete that this author, that this prophet is speaking out of. 
which I think is fascinating, right? This person is just not sort of off there by himself, talking, speaking out of his mind. He's going, he's, again, speaking God's message, his word, back to his people. And what is he speaking? Those promises. Those promises. Don't get lost in this. Just know that, that, that there, is con- there, is, there is a shared world in which that person, which this prophet, or any of, any of the messengers in the Bible, are speaking to correlate this message. Um, what makes us confused often is we, we tend to not do the work of figuring out what is that shared world, and that's okay. Right? We hear this person speaking words, and we're not really sure what they mean. But if we go back and read the, the Davidic Covenant or the, or the Mosaic Covenant, and I put, them, put those texts in there for you, we begin to get more of a sense of what it is that that prophet is speaking back towards. What's that shared world they're speaking? What are these blessings and curses that he refers to? What are they supposed to do? What are they supposed to be believing in? They're supposed to be believing in the, the Davidic promise. Um, so this is author, audience, and shared world. Um, there's, a, there's something, I think it's supposed to be unstated shared assumptions. That's what that's supposed to say. Um, we live, the way we communicate, which is why, another reason why I put this up there, we communicate, the way we communicate is we use uh, unstated shared assumptions to, use, to communicate our purposes and stuff. Um, in other words, when Ada and I try to talk to each other, uh, we can have a conversation about things that you might not understand because we are, there are unstated shared assumptions <clears throat> about what we're talking about. It could be about one of our children. It could be about some, something that just is, for us, a shared world, but it's not for you. Well, the same thing is true here. There's a shared world. We get to understand what that is. There's some of that stuff we don't because there's a cultural divide. But for the most part, we get to understand what it is. But this is, this is everything that the, author, that the prophet is speaking out of, speaking back to. Okay? Anything not confusing about that? <laughs> Why is this helpful? What is... Often confusing for us in Scripture, and I'm reading here, let alone the prophets, is we are not the intended audience. <clears throat> Therefore, we do not have the same shared world in which the author spoke this message. Does this mean we cannot figure out the message? By no means. It just means it might take a little more work to get to it. But the Bible is very helpful on this front because its message is the same through and through. So I can sit here and tell you without any type of hesitation that Isaiah's message is redemptive. Right? Just like Jeremiah's message is redemptive. Um, they're all doing the same thing. And it's, it's pretty, you know, in one sense, it's pretty boring. It's like, oh my gosh, this again? Israel going off, worshiping other idols? Let me call you back to God's promise. Right? Oh, what's this again? You're, you're not believing in God's promises again? You're worshiping other idols? Let me call you back to God's promises. Okay, well, let's put that in today's context. Right, what do we talk about on Sunday mornings? What do we come to church for? Oh, wow, you worshiped other idols in your heart. Right? You trusted in other things in your life. Let me call you back to God's promises that are now fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Right, that's the gospel. Same thing. So before we, you know, tend, we tend to look at the Old Testament and kind of belittle Israel. How could they do this? They're just... So weak. Um, let's turn that mirror on ourselves, and um, and you know, it's essentially God doing the same thing. And, and all of this, all of this. I mean, talk about condescending to His people. God, think about the mind of God, for example. Something we cannot enter, we cannot fathom, and He condescends to us, and He creates a way 
to enter our worlds and communicate to us. That's got to just blow your mind. Um, and this communication is one of blessing. It's one of promise. It's one of, of care. It's one of grace and mercy. It's not, it's not condemnation. Um, that's fascinating to me. And I hope that it's encouraging and fascinating to you as well. Uh, oftentimes we think of the Old Testament as this sort of angry God uh, portion of Scripture, but it's not. It's not. Okay? All right. Let's move on there. Let's get to the message of the prophets. But before, any con- any, anything on this I can try to clarify or ask? You, know, you have questions about? only thing I want you to remember is that when you're reading Isaiah, a lot of what he's referring back to is Davidic and Mosaic and those covenants. Got it? All right, good. All right, let's do the message of the prophet. Uh, The prophet's main message is to call the people back to living as the people of God who had redeemed them with his mighty deeds on their behalf. Um, One of the ways that we think about the message of the prophets, we may think about them as being covenant enforcers. So calling Israel back to God's promises and his commands. The problem is what Michael Williams says. The problem the prophets address is not some failure inerrant to the promises or provision of God, but the failure of Israel to respond rightly to God's gracious initiations. The situation or situations calls for a policing of Israel's response to the covenant. The prophets assume this role. Thus, we might think of them as covenant enforcers. Um, I don't know about you, but when I first came to Scripture, I did not think about prophets as covenant enforcers. I just thought about them as these sort of, you know, Doc Brown from Back to the Future, crazy hair, just kind of going everywhere, thinking about these. And, you know, when I kind of read them, they're kind of more like us. I mean, they're just kind of normal people. I mean, Jonah more in particular, like, I don't want to go talk to those people. They actually might repent, and then you're going to forgive them, and I want, you to, I want them to burn in hell. I, that's, what, that's Jonah. That's probably me. Um, you know, uh, so, but covenant enforcers, calling people back to God's promises and laws. Parents, we're covenant enforcers, right? If you're, if, you're, if you're a parent in here, you're constantly calling them back to your, your law and authority, but which you're appealing to a higher law and authority, right? God gave you to us, and he put us in charge of you, and calling you back to that. And there are blessings and curses if you obey that and if you don't obey that. Um, very similar. Okay, the message of the earlier writing uh, prophets contained these four elements. Uh, these are non-literary prophets, uh, or sorry, these are, these are writing prophets, or we call them literary prophets, which is what Isaiah is. Non-literary prophets would be like Elijah and Elisha that don't have a book to themselves, just to define that. Um, so here are these four elements. You'll hear this in every single um, prophet's message. You'll hear a recitation of the history of redemption. That is, this would be a repeating of the great things God has done for Israel, reminding them of God's care, trustworthiness, and provision. You'll hear a proclamation of Israel's covenant obligations. That is, the prophets cast this declaration of God's requirements in terms of the Mosaic revelation. In the first element reminded, is that right? In the, yeah, in the, in the first element, Uh, If the first element reminded Israel who the Lord is, the second reminded them of who they were in covenant relationship with him. You'll hear that. A statement of covenant covenant indictment, what Israel did wrong, their sin, you'll hear that. And then a declaration of Yahweh's covenant curse upon Israel, the inevitable result if Israel refused to do God's will. I added a fifth element there, which is God's blessing for covenant faithfulness, which is very true. Um, This also gets into... (laughs) 
Um, we'll see how this goes. You, you just need to, I don't want to get too far into these weeds either, but you just need to know this exists as you read prophets. There are conditional and unconditional prophecy. And this is a world that gets really weird really quickly. But what that means is that God actually gives his prophets messages. He gives a word to his people that have, have conditions to it. If this, then this. Okay? If you do these things, I will not, you know, destroy you. Uh, some examples of that would be uh, Jeremiah or Jonah, of course, Jeremiah, uh, chapter eighteen, verse seven to ten is a good example of that. And then, of course, the the the, the term or the the length of exile for Israel seventy years, Jeremiah says. And then Daniel picks that back up. Well, it's longer than seventy years. What's going on? Well, it's conditional. If they had repented, it would be seventy years, but they didn't repent, so it's longer. And sometimes this is kind of new to us because, like, wait a minute here, are you saying that? We have the ability to alter or change God's commands or His promises for us. And I'm just going to say, yeah, yeah, you do. Conditionally here in the Old Testament, right? Now, some will take that further and say, well, what about the new coming of, 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 of Jesus? Do we have the ability to quicken the second coming? I don't know when that's going to happen, but... That, like I said, this gets into a place that's really interesting really fast. Um, some, some truly believe that we do. We don't know when that's going to happen, but our obedience to His covenant promises would quicken that. Okay? Don't get lost in that. Just know that there are conditional and unconditional promises. <laughs> it's fun. It's fun. It's a big, it's a big you know, buffet of things here that are just out there. And uh, you know, you'll, it'll be November, and you'll be reading something, and you'll think... Oh, this sounds like a conditional promise. And it'll just, you'll pull it right out. Um, unconditional promises are going to be like our messianic promises that you'll read. Isaiah 7, 14, 9, 2 to 7, 11. These things that are happening regardless. And that's the beauty of it, to have those distinctions. We don't have to worry if God's promises of salvation and redemption are conditional. They are not. He makes it very clear and he promises those things, and one of the ways we know that they're clear is because of what the New Testament tells us, right? Um, but there are those two categories, and until we have those two categories, prophecy gets very confusing for us. That's part of this shared world view. So if it's unhelpful, if it just gets up there and like clogs everything up, just throw it away. Um, how are we doing on time, by the way? Oh, it is? Okay. Ada said two hours. All right. If I can, can I, can I have five minutes to wrap this up? Is that, or do I need two minutes to wrap this up? Two, oh, okay. Oh my God, I had no idea. Okay, sorry, sorry. Okay, you can read this, thanks. Um, you, have, you, you have their um, pre-exilic uh, writings, which is before the exile. Who are the prophets that are going to that? Um, Real quick, didn't prophets just predict the future? We've, we kind of touched on that, but it's the difference between foretelling and foretelling. Most of prophets in Scripture are foretelling. Um, they, they present a word of warning and encouragement. I'll let you read the quotes there. And then what I have for you on the back, and this actually is fine, is everything that we just talked about, you read the first chapter of Isaiah, and it's all there. Okay? Um, chapter 1 introduces the major, major themes of Isaiah. What is that? The sinfulness of Judah, tender appeals of the Lord, certainty of coming judgment, the blessedness of the salvation to come, the remnant that will be saved. Right? Promises and curses. We have recording of, of, of the, the said prophet's calling in chapter 6. 
And what does that calling talk about? What does it do? It gives Isaiah his source of authority. It, gives, uh, it is the source of Isaiah's message, which is from the Lord. And it's then also Judah's obligation to listen, which is what, where I want to leave you with our role as the audience to this letter, of this letter, to this, you know, the Word of God, is for us to listen. And this obligates us to that because of his source of authority and his message. Um, and I'll leave it at that, okay? Let me pray for us. Sorry, I totally thought we had more time. Um, you know where my office is. Come find me if you have questions. Uh, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, time to talk briefly about uh, the prophets and who they are and what their role is and um, how do we begin to understand them. Um, anything that was just confusing or that gets in the way of, of you proclaiming your goodness to us, would you please uh, let that fall on deaf ears? Uh, would you make, through the book of Isaiah, um, your, your grace and mercy uh, more visible to us through uh, these prophets, through this prophet, um, and, and his message, and what he, what he has ultimately come to do, and that is to call us back to your loving care and your promises for us. Uh, would you do that for your glory? We pray this all in your son's name. Amen. Thank you all.